What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Fast Track, formerly known as Pave the Way Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Helbeck, and on this show, you are gonna learn exactly how to be successful as a real estate investor. It doesn't matter if you're brand new or if you've done dozens and dozens of deals. This is a podcast you're gonna be able to listen to that's gonna give you actionable, specific advice on how to be successful within real estate investing. I'm gonna interview top-notch real estate investors each and every week, and there's also gonna be some content that is just gonna be me telling you exactly about my journey and how I've went from a broke kid starting out to a million dollar real estate investor. So if you wanna learn how to be successful investing in real estate, this is the show to listen to, and I'm looking forward to being able to serve you at a high level. All right, David, welcome to the podcast, buddy. I've been looking forward to this for the week we had it planned. Me too, man. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure, buddy. So today I actually want to talk about how you have built Deal Machine into a beast of a software company. So before we get into that, I got some questions that I'm just curious about and how you were able to build such a big company in a relatively short period of time. Give everyone a little bit about your background and how you got into the entrepreneur game off the bat. So I was working for an entrepreneur and I noticed he had five rental properties. I knew time was on my side because I'd read the four-hour work week. I'd read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I've learned from my parents' financial advisor that if you invest, then the compound interest will eventually allow you to retire. So I was socking away 50% of my salary, which was $50,000 for like four or five or six years. By this time, I was working for a small company and he had four or five rental properties. I was like, why do you do that instead of investing in the stock market? And he said the stock market can go up and down, but the rentals will always keep going up and the rents will never go down as long as you manage them right. So I thought about that and it was really inspiring. So I went right off to go find rental properties. I didn't find any that would cash flow. He was really discouraging. And he said, well, I don't think you could find any properties like these anymore. I bought these back in 2008 after the crash, essentially. Yeah. So, well, I found a meetup and I found a bunch of people that were doing deals like all the time. So I knew he wasn't completely right. Not that he was trying to be mean, but I certainly felt discouraged. Oh man. But I was super pumped up to see people were doing all these deals. And they said, go look for rundown houses and contact them. See if they want a cash offer on their house. And if you do it enough times, they'll actually want to sell. So I did that, but I struggled with follow-up. I had all these addresses over two months after work of driving. And I saw one that was under construction. And I looked it up and my stomach dropped, like the bottom fell out. I was just like, these guys sold this house to somebody else. And it could have been a great first deal for me, but I'm sitting here, you know, screwing around and haven't even reached out yet. So I had a follow-up issue. I learned a lot of humans have follow-up issues. So I made this widget with the development skills that I had on my phone. It was an app, but it wasn't on the app store. Just kind of plug in your phone to your developer computer, and then you can put whatever you want on your phone, just your, if it's yeah. just your phone. So I made this map, could pin the house. It would send a letter to the owner and tell me who owns it as well. And that was what I was going to do to solve my follow-up issue. So I did that. I used it for seven months. And the crazy thing was somebody asked to use it. And the easiest way to get it on their phone was just to put it on the app store. So I came up with a name, did 99 designs for a logo, threw it on the app store, and it just slowly grew from there, Greg. That's crazy, dude. And so you solved your own problem before you started solving the problem of the masses. Right. It wasn't meant to be a business, but I'm sure glad it turned out to be one because it's been a great one. Yeah, dude. You were like the first one to like pioneer it. And I remember, you know, new people would ask me like, hey, like, should I drive for dollars? And I'm like, yeah, you should drive for dollars, but you got to have a system in place in order to have that optimized. So you should download Deal Machine. And you guys obviously offer much more than just driving for dollars now. But 
to see, you know, where it started and where it's grown to is incredible. You know, just me kind of knowing you as an outsider, just seeing how big the business got and what you can do with a software company and the scale that it has. And I'm sure there's obviously a lot of complexities as well with the tech stuff, but you know, it's a completely different business because most of the people on the show, they're house flippers, they're landlords, they're apartment guys, whatever. I never really interviewed too many like deep software guys. So, I mean, let's just talk about the first like year of the business, like when it actually became a business, when it wasn't just you using it and your friend using it, like how did you start to optimize this thing to where when it started to scale, it wasn't breaking completely because I, I don't know tech too well, but I know that with software, there's bugs and this and that and updates. So like, how did you kind of get it to where it started to not break a lot? Like what was the kind of that evolution? Yeah. So me and my partner that owned Deal Machine, previously we built a software that was used by fraternities and sororities for recruitment. And that guy didn't give us any equity of the company and he paid us really low salaries, but we did it because we wanted to learn how to grow a business. And so we, we got that information. But the downside for him was that we were very ambitious and my partner is wildly talented, but having not had any experience scaling a product, that one, we actually learned a lot at that owner's expense because sororities do recruitment twice a year and they all do it the same month. So it gets really hammered. And this software that they bought for the whole year that they only need two days out of the year just wouldn't work over and over again because we really didn't know how to scale a software, but we learned a lot at that project. So now we had more experience on our belt. So Deal Machine was our second project together and it went a lot smoother. The use case also wasn't like the sorority recruitment use case where a bunch of people use it at the same time at these crazy hours of the night. It's more like smooth at Deal Machine because not everybody's like doing it at the same time. So it was an easier product to scale. And then we were also better at scaling. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Especially too, with a sorority, it's like, yeah, like literally like two days out of the year. And then it just sits there. It's like a, you know, do or die scenario versus steel machine. You're a lot more steady Eddie. Yeah, correct. There's also this like phrase that a lot of developers and we probably thought about at the time, which was like move fast and break stuff. But there's also a new refined version of that phrase. That's like, move fast, but don't break stuff. You know, maybe you don't have to move as fast. That's not the phrase, but there's actually a phrase it's from like Facebook. But that was definitely a mindset that we adopted over time. And even in the last three years at Deal Machine, we have doubled down and tripled down on making the software bug-free and reliable, and that being the centerpiece of what we provide that others may not be able to. Totally, man. So let's actually do this now. I want you to fast forward and tell me right now, like as of August 30th, 2023, what does Deal Machine look like from a high-level standpoint? Like... How big is the business share? Obviously what you want to share and what are the three or four core features that that product offers? And then we'll start to backtrack and really figure out how you were able to build it to get to the level it's at now. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. So if you want me to list four things, it started off driving for dollars. The unique aspect was not only did it let you pin homes, but it looked them up and it let you send a mail campaign directly to there and skip trace. Interesting. So then we started getting a lot of people using that. And then we also did and built every feature request that they had. The problem was a new person that came to Deal Machine because they wanted to escape their nine to five and build a life they love through wholesaling real estate was not really sure what to do when the app had so many features. So in that last three years, we also went hardcore on simplifying it. We removed a lot of those advanced features such as 
designing your own custom postcard with your own custom colors and even, you know, uploading it. It's like a Photoshop or Canva inside of Deal Machine. We just took that out. You know, the only way you can get that is if you get like the $5,000 a year elite package, because it really isn't productive for somebody who's not doing like half a million or a million dollars a year. And at that point, they're going to buy the big package anyway. So that's an example of how we got people to be more successful by simplifying things down. And so today, a huge few things we've added is new people have this analysis paralysis. I get it too. I definitely have had it in the past. So we integrated ChatGPT with our real estate data, which it normally doesn't have access to. But when you use it through Deal Machine, you can ask it, what do I do with this seller objection? How much is this house worth? Can you help me estimate the rehab costs? And it will help walk you through that to help a beginner with the analysis paralysis. We call that Alma. It's ChatGPT attached to our real estate data, and you can chat with it in the app. The other thing is comping. We have a really, really awesome comping interface on the mobile app that really even teaches you how to comp by just using the interface. So you get the photos from the MLS listings and you can actually compare and see what that house is worth actually in perfect condition, right? To be able to calculate what you should offer on it. And then the other thing is list building. So we have a lot of data, probates, liens, high equity, old MLS listings. It's all there and you can pull lists from Deal Machine too. So those are the four things that I would say that Deal Machine can really do for you right now. That's awesome. So you guys have a list pulling function as well as someone making their own list up from just driving around. We do. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's really interesting because a lot of people say like the driving for dollars list is the best list, which I would agree with them because that's a list that is going to be unique to that person. I'm sure there's other investors who've seen the same shitty house, but I guarantee you that if somebody has a sample size of 2000 records that they got on their own, if they were to line that up with, you know, their competitor buddy, I'm sure there's a lot of different addresses on there. Maybe he forgot to drive down that one street that had the three beaters on there, you know? Yeah. Driving for dollars is the best list, but if you have more money than time, buying lists is going to be a good option for you. Totally. So here's another thing. Michael Pinter, a good friend of mine, was talking with me about driving for dollars a while ago. And I think he heard this from you and I could be wrong, but I think each market in the nation, I mean, obviously like Reno is going to be more expensive than Kansas City. So like in the cheaper markets, I know you guys actually have a, a pretty accurate average KPI on how many properties somebody would need to find in a cheaper market in order to most likely get their first deal. So would you mind sharing that? And then at least in the cheaper market? Yeah. Yeah. So this is so important because I hate it when people quit too soon. Yeah. I'll talk to somebody who says wholesaling doesn't work in my market. It's too busy in my market. And I'll say, how many properties did you add? And they'll say 10 and it's just not enough. So you've got to know some numbers to this. So the easiest way I've noticed is in the cheaper markets, if the average home price is cheaper, like maybe $200,000, you need to add about 500 rundown properties and mail them six times each. And if you're in a higher average home price, like California, maybe it's more near a million dollars. Well, you need to like 1500 rundown houses or 2000 rundown houses. Yeah. It's a linear relationship with how many rundown houses you have to find versus what it takes to get a deal. And it does cost more, right? It costs more to find those houses and then to mail those houses. But the benefit is wholesale deals, you typically make 15% of the value of the home at the time you do the wholesale transaction. So that means you make a bigger profit too. So it's just harder to start up in a more expensive market, but you can definitely kill it. 100%. And I've always told people too, like if you're driving around Long Island, for example, which I know pretty well, or the Hudson Valley, which is right near Long Island, 
yeah, your median house price is five, 600 grand. But yeah, like you said, your, your, your wholesale fee is 40 to 50 grand without a question, at least like if you have a real deal and you have real buyers. So like, is it worth that extra effort to make 50 grand versus, you know, taking 10, 15 grand on a cheaper property? Like people don't understand, like if they're in a tough market, because the only markets I really know are these expensive markets like California, New York, you know, Delaware is not that expensive, but it's not dirt cheap either. Like, yes, it's harder to get deals, but the spreads are way bigger. Right. And I've never right. really messed around in a super, super cheap market. I'm sure it's not easy, but you're going to be able to get a deal quicker with less resistance from a seller, but you're not going to most likely make as much because if you have a 200 K ARV and it needs a hundred grand worth of work, it'd be hard to make six figures wholesale in that deal. You know what I mean? Totally. So that's very interesting. So here's like some software questions. So what, what are some like you guys obviously got a big software company now with a lot of users in a perfect world. What is like a reasonable retention rate when you bring people on on a monthly recurring basis that you look for to make sure that like the business is is keeping customers in the, or what do they call it? The churn rate? I don't know. Software. Mm -hmm. What's like an acceptable churn rate in like just a software business? Yeah. So for B2B SaaS, you'd want to have like a 3% monthly churn rate. And I would not consider us B2B, even though a lot of people are using Deal Machine for a business purpose. A lot of people are coming to us looking for their first deal. So that's actually different. We've got a higher churn rate. We have about a 10% churn rate. And that means somebody stays for a whole year. That's the average length that somebody stays. Got it. So 10% monthly churn rate because of the, you're, you're targeting the newer person who might not have a ton of money. A lot of people, it's, it's difficult to start a business. The stats are stacked against you to successfully starting a business. I'm yes. not sure what the stats are, but there's a lot of stats out there about how hard it is to start a business. And that's what people are trying to do when they're starting, they're using our app for the first time. Yeah. They're trying to start a wholesaling business. And the funny thing I always tell people is like, like, I'll give you an example, actually. So I'm not going to mention his name because I, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but he started in 2020. So right when COVID was going on. He was brand new in my New York area, right? So I was like his mentor from afar. I mean, we've met up and done deals since then, but brand new wholesaler, didn't really know the deal in the beginning. He bought a program and his niche was cold calling and he cold, he just grinded his face off for his first couple of deals. And New York is super hard. And he, he had another mentor before he met me and he kind of held his hand. And then he went through this giant just valley of just despair. And I remember I was with him. We were driving to one of my deals and I was showing him kind of the ropes and he was just defeated. He was just defeated. And I'm like, listen, dude, like I'm not a therapist, but you have to stick around in this business. Cause if you stick around and you can get through this like dip, I think there's a book by Seth Godin called the dip. And it's about the entrepreneur journey. But I said, if you stick around for a couple more years, not only are you going to improve your skills and you're going to have more experience, but it, it is going to turn a lot faster than you think. And I was on the phone with him ironically yesterday, and he'll probably do five, 600 grand in revenue this year. His margins are incredible. He's got a truckload of money in the bank compared to where he was. And he's turned his whole life around and he started with absolutely nothing in 2020, which wasn't that long ago. And he's like the perfect case study of sticking around in this business and, and not being a statistic, as they say, because he had every reason to, to quit when he was going through that dip and, and look where he's at now, just from cold calling. Yep. It's crazy. You know what I mean? Yep. When it gets hard, most people quit. So that's when I have to persevere so I can achieve what others can't. 100% dude. Another thing I've told people with driving for dollars, and you know more about this than I do. I'm like, if you're going to drive for dollars anywhere... You have to systematize it to where every day or whatever, five days a week, you have your map. And I know on the software, it like can kind of like trace where you've went so you don't waste your time. 
you have to systematize this for six to 12 months or else you're just wasting your time. You can't just go driving on one Sunday and pull 20 houses and think you're going to get a deal. I mean, what do you tell people with this system? So once you actually make enough money, yeah. you want to start buying back your time. And the way to do that is to offload things that other people can do that you do. And one of those things would be driving around looking for the rundown properties. So you could hire, as long as you're making the equivalent of like 40 plus dollars an hour, you could hire somebody for $20 an hour and actually do the driving around. That way it frees you up to do more higher level things that will earn you more money than just driving around looking for the rundown homes. And there's a few problems with that that we need to solve. Like if I'm paying this guy by the hour, how do I know he's not sitting at Taco Bell eating a churro and charging me money? So that's just an example why we have route tracking. So you could tell where the driver's going. And then you see what I'm saying, right? We've got a system for helping you manage a driver like that. And we also have made it easy to actually hire somebody and then get them to drive for you. That interview process can be challenging unless you have the ability to like get them in the software and show you that they know they're tech savvy enough to download on their phone and to actually add some properties. So for example... I posted a job on Indeed and then I'm making interviews with all these people and none of them show up. And I'm like, God, this is awful. I feel so disrespected. I'm not falling for this again. So before I got on an interview with somebody, I would say, hey, thanks for applying. Here, join my team on Deal Machine. Go add 10 properties real quick. And then once you do that, let me know. I'll like Venmo you five bucks. And that test project would weed out people that aren't serious or aren't tech savvy. And then I would have interviews with people that were serious and tech savvy. No, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, I think there's a guy in St. Louis or not St. Louis, Salt Lake City, and he has like an army of people driving around for him. I'm pretty sure they're using deal machine. And like, if you can get five people to find, you know, 20 properties a day, I mean, not only are you providing a job for somebody who can basically work whenever they want within reason, I mean, you can just keep building that list up. And then when you get your driving for dollars list, you know, fully functioning, and that's two, three, four thousand people. I mean, there's going to be like, you know, those are distressed properties because somebody has verified that. It's not like they're speculating. I see a lot of like, you know, people pull these like vacant lists, which I've done well with, but you don't really know if it's vacant. It says it's vacant via the postal service, but you don't really know. It's probably like 50%. So let's talk about marketing for your software business, right? Like getting customers, like what are like the top four ways that you guys as a company deal machine can get consistent customers to then obviously pay you the subscription fee and you guys can can grow that that way. We're constantly doing A-B testing to actually figure out what is the optimal price that makes sense for people. So we're just constantly testing. Every week we're running a different test about how to package different features and what that price would be. And most people find out about us through recommendations from people like yourself on podcasts like this one. And we also have YouTubers that would recommend to us. And that's how most people hear about us. Got it. Have you guys ever ran like paid Facebook ads? And, and has that ever worked for you guys in terms of just, just buying traffic? Yeah, we have done some of that. We spend about 200000 a month on marketing in terms of spend. So Holy it's uh, definitely some some paid advertising is involved there too. 200 you just said that like nonchalant that's a lot of money yeah the good thing is it's on my amex so i haven't really paid for a personal flight in a long time thanks to those points yeah i was gonna say if you have that platinum card you're flying for free for yeah. the next 10 years that's unbelievable have you guys ever tried like ppc for that or is that not yeah that's included it, that would be included in that cost all right. So like PPC, Facebook ads, because like I've done Facebook ads for sellers and it's always been a little hit or miss because it's such a big ticket sale. And it's like, you're kind of looking for a needle in the haystack. I've found PPC has been much better just because they're reaching out to you and it's a search-based marketing versus like, you know, you're not, you're not really going on Facebook to sell your house for cash. You might see the ad and it might encourage you to reach out, but 
I feel like with a software business, like someone sees a good ad and they want to get in real estate, like that seems to be more of a better play versus like running Facebook ads for sellers, at least from my experience, you know? Totally. Interesting. So what about on the personal side with your rental? I know obviously you've been buying rental properties since you started the software company. So what has yeah. been your like experience with buying rentals and, and where have you been buying them? And where, where are you based out of too? Are you from Indiana or you live somewhere else now? I live in Austin, Texas. I invest in Indianapolis and okay. I bought 15 properties. I uh, bought four nice. this year. I manage them myself. And oh, wow. I have do showings with this show mojo lockbox that lets people show themselves in by putting in their credit card and their ID. Can you tell me how that works? Because I, I manage a lot of my own rentals too. It's $9 a month for me. And then somebody can go to the booking link and then input their credit card and their ID and go show themselves the property. That's it. And you know, and what do they put their credit card in just in case they go there and smoke the property? <laughs> it doesn't cost any money for them. It is verification process that Show Mojo handles. Okay. Interesting. So that's, I've never even heard of that because I normally just, I have like door loop the property management software and then like they go cool. through the screening system. But I'm like, I was kind of looking for something like that because I'm out here on the West Coast and these properties are on the East Coast. And I'm always kind of like, what if some stranger breaks into my house and I don't know who they are? And I don't know, having them send me the ID is kind of a pain in the ass and they don't want to do it. So show. Yeah, it's audio. it's legit because it's in a software platform. Got it. And does it just do the showings or does it also manage the properties as well? Like, does it? That's they, just for the showings, just so they can get access to the property and take a look at it themselves. Got it. Okay. Are you doing more bird deals, owner financing? Like what is your kind of preferred way to get these rentals? Love Indianapolis because it's a bigger difference between the mortgage and the rent payment. So it's easier to cash flow. So I typically will find these off market through driving for dollars that I market to and they call me back or yeah. I'll make offers on old listings on the MLS and then get a deal that way. And those are the two ways I get deals. You're, I haven't done any owner financing. I've done all cash or just using a traditional mortgage. Just putting 20% down and, and getting it, just buying it the straight way. Unless I'm doing a renovation and then it becomes like a Burr deal. And if yeah. I'm doing it from off market, that's typically what it would be like. Yeah, I've found with the Burr properties that I've done, like it's funny because I can actually pay more for a fix and flip than I can a Burr deal. It's weird. Like you think you could pay more for a bird deal because you don't really care about selling it. But I've done a few burrs where I've had to leave like 10 to 20 grand in that deal because I was just, you know, I might've got it at 70 cents on the dollar, but with the refi costs and at least in New York, it's super expensive. Like, you know, the closing costs were 10 grand, right? From that refi. And that's like, you know, I got to come to the table with that. So, you know, I've always told people like, if you, if you're just getting started, and you don't have any money, I wouldn't even think about buying rental properties. I would build up your bankroll and get some wholesales and some flips. I'd start with wholesales if you can. And then after a couple of years, you know, start getting more into rentals. Cause also rentals, I've just found that they're not going to make you rich right away. They're going to make you rich in 10 or 15, 20 years. Cause a lot of people, they read rich dad, poor dad. They want to have horizontal income because passive income doesn't exist. And then they go buy a rental. They use all their savings and they're making a hundred dollars a month. And I'm like, that's really not going to do much for you. You should probably get your active income up because when you get the skill set by using deal machine of driving for dollars and getting off market deals, you can kind of decide what you want to do with them. Totally. You know, well, cool, man. What's the future deal machine looking like? I mean, where do you guys want to take this company and, and kind of what's your vision for the business going forward? Man, we're going to the moon. We're going to get every investor to use deal machine and help them do more deals than they ever imagined. 
and then we're going to sell the company to a title company. That's that sounds like a plan. I mean, with the software business, you know, the sky's the limit and you always have that exit versus a lot of we were talking offline like, you know, it's hard to sell a flipping business. I mean, you could franchise it, I guess. There's a few people who've done that, but that's the beauty of software, man. That is the beauty of software. So, what about for your personal rental portfolio? Like, where do you want to get that rental business to over time? I want to get 20 properties and then I'll consider hiring someone else to manage it. Okay. That's good. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I have what I have five right now, and I manage four of them. And I've always just found like it's kind of like death by a thousand cuts for me. Like you know, if I'm on vacation or something, like I just don't. You know, you get like I was in Japan last month, and like I was getting hit up for the, like some stupid rental thing. I'm like, this is not, this is not ideal. But I think probably after ten, I'll probably get a manager. At least I'll start with like maybe half. I've just found what one more thing too. What do you do because you self-manage? Like what is your process for screening tenants with, you know, not even being there? My process for screening tenants is they submit a form to say their credit score and all that stuff. My requirements are 600 or above and the income must be three times rent. I've never had anybody that was a criminal, but you know, I wouldn't probably, it's not worth like doing that. My, my rentals are pretty much like higher end, like B class. So Typically, okay. there's not too much riffraff there and it makes the management easier, which is my goal. Yeah, I, I wish I could say I've done that before. I mean, because we we have in New York, it's it's very hard to do evictions. So like, I got to be super careful with who I let in that property because the second you give them the keys. Oh, yeah. It's like, I'm sure in Indiana, you can get somebody out in like a month, right? Thankfully, I've never had to do an eviction. I've avoided it by saying, look, you're in a situation where you're not going to get out of it. I highly recommend you go to somebody's house that you know and crash in their basement so you can get back on your feet. This would actually be an option for you as long as you can decide in the next 48 hours that that's the right choice for you. And then I'll let you out of the lease for free, no problem at all, but just make sure the house is ready to go so I can re-rent it. And they've always taken that option. It's only happened once, maybe twice. That's pretty good. So I wish that was the case in New York because everyone in New York knows that they have six months to live for free. So I'm usually throwing five or 10 grand at them to get out at least. Okay. Yeah. Just well, you got to know out. your market. You got to know your market. So David, man, what is the best place to check? I know you got a podcast that you've been doing for a while. What is the name of that podcast? Deal Machine Real Estate Investing Podcast. And the story there is, you know, Deal Machine's been around for a while. We had a really successful customer that I asked to be my co-host. His name is Ryan Haywood. And we just interviewed you. So that episode's coming out. Definitely take a look and listen to that. But Ryan's story is he did a 14-day deal challenge. He actually got a first deal in 14 days. 8500 bucks is what he made on the wholesale deal. And then he and his wife have done 400 deals since 2019. So that's why I asked him to be a co-host because they exclusively use Deal Machine and then relationships that they've built there in St. Joe, Missouri. I also didn't think you could do wholesaling in these small towns, but like you're showing us you can do it in a big town. He's showing us you can do it in a small town. Yeah, it's interesting. That's a crazy case study. That's unbelievable. So Deal Machine Real Estate Investing Podcast is the name. Yeah, and your episode is coming out soon. So I can't wait for people to hear that. Yeah, that was a good episode. I did it last week with you. I was sitting on the couch. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So check out the Deal Machine Real Estate Investing Podcast. Maybe by the time this airs, my episode will be up on David's podcast. So check that out. And then if people want to follow you on social media, what is the best way for them to check you out online? D-Leco. Really appreciate that. I've been putting a lot of good content out there. Awesome. D-L-E-C-K-O on Instagram. It's going to help you. It's going to help you do your wholesaling. That's right. D-L-E-C-K-O. D-L-E-C-K-O. And follow him on Instagram. Check out his podcast. And David, thanks for being a guest on the show today, buddy. My pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to an episode of the Real Estate Investing Fast Track. I hope you got a lot of value from this specific episode. And there are a few takeaways that you're able to gather from this to implement in your business so you can be a more successful real estate investor. So if you did get value from the show, if you could do me a favor and leave me a review on iTunes, it would really mean a lot to me. That's how we keep growing the show and getting great guests is because people see the reviews. They see that we have a high quality show and they want to contribute as a guest. So that would be great. Also, if you got value, if you could share the show on social media, that would be great because that is how people see this besides the reviews. So once again, if you did get value, if you could do me a favor and leave me a review on iTunes and share the show on social media, it would really mean a lot to me and I'll see you on the next episode.